Now, this morning's going to be a bit different. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm, I want to try and give you a bit of a perspective of why we're doing what we're doing in Sovereign Grace and in this church here and why the church for us is so important and what it looks like. So I don't have any notes, which means that this could really bomb, okay? This could bomb. I tried to write some things down. I brought my notes. I brought my things from, you know, I'm going to preach on this, this, and this. And then as we've been talking and things have been happening while I've been here, which is the story of my life, go anywhere and everybody leaves. Um, <clears throat> what have I done? You know, um, so I just want to open up a psalm that's particularly important to me and has been important for us as a church at home, and hopefully it'll serve you. So we're going to, this morning, do Psalm 84. So if you'd like to turn there, and I'm going to read it to you. So before we read it, let's pray. And we really need to pray. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Lord, thank you for the truths we sung this morning. Thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for your grace that we've seen individually in our lives and your grace that we've seen at the beginning of this little baby church. And Lord, we thank you that grace will definitely grow. We will see more and more grace. We will see all that you have planned and purpose come about. And Lord, may this little message serve in that process. Lord, help me. Uh, give me a clear mind. Uh, and give me the words that you would have me speak. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's start verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each one appears before God in Zion, or each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Um, I don't know, <clears throat> if I were to ask you, what, what is it that uh, affects you most? What is it that you most desire and long for in your life? You know, if, if I could come and say, okay, quickly, tell me, 
What are the things that you most desire? What is it you most long for? What captivates you? What moves your heart? What affects you almost physically in a desire, in a longing? What excites you and thrills you that you just can't shut up about? Now, you may say a lot of different things. Um, You may say my wife, my kids, my husband, my job, my friends, my family. Most of us, if we're Christians, would say, my Lord, my God. The interesting thing here is these people are absolutely thrilled and excited and over the moon and physically so affected by one thing. And that for them is the gathering, the meeting place of God's people. So you look at the beginning and, you know, this is... Now, it, then, then imagine the scene. These people are, they are literally the doorkeepers of the tabernacle. This, this psalm is a song of ascents, which means that it was written for people on a pilgrimage, on a journey to go to the tabernacle in Jerusalem, David's tabernacle, that had been set up prior to Solomon's temple being built. And the people that wrote this psalm are the ones who are right on the outside edges, on the doors, letting people in. And that's their job. And this psalm was written for people who were on a journey there, where they travel. And so it's a song of ascents. There's a number of psalms that are songs of ascents. And look at how they start. They say, my soul longs, yes, faints. For the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Something is going on in these people that is not just we're going to church on Sunday. I mean, this is this is way beyond. Are we going to meeting this week? Oh, life group again. You don't normally get people saying, My soul longs and yearns for the life group. My heart and flesh sing for joy to see Patrick. It, it just, it just, <clears throat> some may do that. Meg may do that, but apart from that. But I don't think so, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> these people are affected, emotionally affected in, therefore, not just their desires, but their life and what they do, with the thought of being together with God's people in the tabernacle. They're affected by it. Now, here's the thing. What makes this psalm so incredible is the people who wrote it. You'll notice at the beginning of the psalm, it says, to the choir master, according to the gittith, we don't know what that is, but I like that word, gittith, um, a psalm of the sons Korah. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you may know something about the sons of Korah. If you were a son of Korah in David's time, you probably carried a stigma around with you because your ancestors were the naughty boys. In fact, your ancestors were bang out of order. And to find that, you need to go back to Numbers 16. Keep your finger in Psalm 84, and let's whip back to Numbers 16. I'm not going to read all of it, but 
we don't get Psalm 84 if we don't understand number 16. Because something fundamentally has changed in the sons of Korah. Oops, I've just lost my page again. Between number 16 and Psalm 84. So something's happened in that bit. What's happened? Let's read it. Now, Korah, set the scene. Moses and Aaron have led the children of Israel out of Egypt. God has performed incredible, miraculous signs in Egypt. They have been released from bondage. They are now the, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church in the wilderness. And as they are led out into the wilderness, the, the sea, Red Sea parts, they cross over it. God, it's just staggering. It's incredible. And they are on their way to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And this happens. You know, it's just like, could this be better? We were in bondage. We're being fed with manna from heaven. They're going to be. The rock is going to follow them, which, which is Christ. And it's just staggering. And, and you have this little now in chapter, in chapter 16. Now, Korah, son of Izar, son of Koah, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his, who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this, take census, Korah and all his company, put fire in them, put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall surely be the holy one. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister them to them? And that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it's against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And then the story goes on. 250 people, sons of Korah, leading it. And Moses is asking them a question. And he's saying, isn't it enough that, that you get to serve in the tabernacle? Isn't it enough that God has called you and set you apart? Isn't it enough what he's done for you? And that you want the priesthood also? And they're saying to him, Moses, who do you think you are? What, what's going on here? You know, God speaks to us just the same way he speaks to you. No, that wasn't the case. But that was their understanding. The story goes on. God says to Moses and Aaron, stand aside. So they stand aside. Ground opens up. Down they go. Swallows up. Fire comes. They're all dead. Uh, and then a few others start getting a bit het up as well. And then 4,700 of them are killed as well. It's just like, don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. 
And in this situation, you've got the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah are taken out. Later on in the scripture, it says that God allowed a remnant of the sons of Korah to be preserved, a remnant by grace. But the sons of Korah are after something. What is going on in their minds here? They are part of the church. They are enjoying the fact that God has released them from bondage, just like all of us. And yet something is happening in their minds where just being a part of this is not enough for them. And Moses is saying to them, isn't it enough? That God has done all these wonderful things to you. That God has saved you. That God has drawn you out. That God has called you to, to be able to minister to him. That you're able to serve in this way to these people here. The church in the wilderness. And basically they're saying to him, do you know what? No, it's not enough. It's not enough for that. Because we want to do what you're doing. We're not content. We're not just enjoying this. What's the most important thing to us is my, our role and our position, evidently. Evidently, as that happens. Now, here's the thing. And I've been here and I've experienced it. That for us, we can be... Now, you can say, well, this is Old Testament and Moses did function with God, and God spoke to Moses in a way that he didn't anybody else, but now we're in the new covenant, and it's the priesthood of all believers, and this doesn't really apply to us, because we all have access to God. Absolutely, we do all have access to God. But that wasn't what this was about. This, that wasn't about access to God. This was about, who do you think you are to lead us in this way? And Moses is saying, well, this is, this is what I've got to do. And they're saying, we want that. There's a discontentment within the sons of Korah that is causing them to desire a role and a position and a ministry and a place. They are finding their identity within a role rather than, isn't it enough just to be able to serve in here? I was been talking to some folk this week and chatting it through and finding out more about your wonderful country and, and all that's happening here. And, and one of the interesting things that, that we experience, but one of the interesting things is, is how the idea that Jesus saves me, Jesus changes my life, and therefore I want to live for him. Wonderful, that's the case for all of us. But then we can quickly go into, therefore, what has God called me individually to do? What has he called me to minister in? What is my role? What is my place? And then there can be this kind of idea that this is what I feel God wants me to do, whether it's, whether it's at home or away, whether it's in preaching or in kids' work or in evangelism or in prayer or in Bible study or whatever. It could be one of a thousand things. But this is what I feel God has given for me. This is my ministry and therefore, from there, I look for a church where I may see that ministry flourish. So, my identity is centered into my sense of specific calling, and therefore, the church is a means to an end to see that calling function. And when that calling doesn't function, as here, it's like 
this can't be right. This, this isn't right. Now, now, we have this back at home. We have this in different places. You find it. But I think it's a more prevalent here from what we can gather, this, this, this sense of, I think because there's a great passion, to, I want to serve God, I want to do things, which is wonderful. But then it can be, okay, well, how can I find a context where that can take place? Rather than the change that takes place in the sons of Korah, something happens to them from saying, my role, my place, and Moses putting the question, isn't it enough? And by the time we get to Psalm 84 from the remnant, you find Psalm 84 answers the question, no longer in the negative, but in the positive. Do you know what? It is enough. I found something better than my role. I found an identity that doesn't mean I'm not able to serve. They are serving effectively and wonderfully. I found something sweeter and better than just what do I do and what is my position. So go back to Psalm 84. And so they can start by saying, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs faints for the courts of the Lord. What a change. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Now listen, even the sparrow finds a home. This is, like, this is gracious inclusion. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Oh, the sons of Korah, they're standing up right on the outside at the gate, and they're looking at the sparrows and the swallows that are making their nests in the tabernacle. And they're saying, do you know what? It's just like that. What a blessing. No longer saying, we want to be right in the middle. They're just saying, aren't they blessed, the people that get to spend time in the tabernacle, ever singing your praise? How wonderful is that? What's going on in these people? These people have changed their whole perspective, the sons of Korah. They're no longer saying, what are we doing out here? Hello? Hello? I can sing better than him. You know? I've heard the singing coming from in there. It's pretty awful. Excuse me, I'd like to sing like the X Factor. Can, can I please? You don't have X Factor here, do you? I don't know what you do. You, you know, it's, the, the, the crazies come out and say, I can sing. And, um, and it, it's just, but for them... They are thrilled with what's taking place in God's house. They're thrilled seeing other people being able to enjoy the grace of God in a different way than they are without desiring, I want to be there. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. And it's not even down to how great you are. This is all by grace. Whenever the Bible talks about the sparrow, it's talking, you know, deliberately it's showing you the least, the nothing. It's saying, do you know what? Even the sparrow finds a place. This, in the house of the Lord here in Sabbath, it is open even for the sparrow. How glorious is that? God is not saying you have to be like this. Back in Numbers 16, it was the leaders all gathered together. They're saying, I am so blessed. The sparrows get to enjoy it, who are nothing. And these people get to be singing and praising in there. We're out here. How blessed are they? How wonderful is that? What a different heart. What a different heart. I'm going to pull all this together in the end. 
And then they go on. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, which means weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Again, what they're saying as they're looking at it, they're saying, do you know what? Not only are the people that are able to minister in there blessed, but the people who are able, who carry the desire and love for this in their hearts, they're blessed as well. Blessed are those who strengthen you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. That there is something in them that just being there, just being a part in there, just enjoying this, how wonderful is this? What a great thing. I, that story, I was uh, saved in 1980. I had no Christian background. I grew up in a Catholic church um, for a while and just had nothing to do with it when I had the teens. And I was saved in 1980, saved into a Baptist church. Jen was there. Um, it was a horrible sight. I had nothing on my feet and hair. I used to have hair once and a big Afghan coat down to the floor. And um, I was cooler than ice, man. Um, and I walked into this Baptist church, and, and by the grace of God, that week, somebody preached the gospel to me, and I was magnificently, wonderfully saved. I left my job where I was. Well, it wasn't really a job. I never went. But I moved back to Cardiff, and, and I got into this church. I'm very grateful for it, and Jen was there. And within weeks... I couldn't, I, I, was, I was in trouble with the church. I was just in trouble. Um, it just, I didn't get how I was just so over the moon, so ecstatic. I couldn't believe I was saved. And I'd read about the church in the scriptures, and then I'd look at what we were in and think, you know, what? Why are you doing that? Why are you not doing that? And why? And ask them some questions. And and I remember for a, a year or so, just trying to struggle to put together, I love Jesus, but the church didn't seem to be what I was reading about. And, and I remember listening to a tape of a guy. Uh, he was a young man in his 20s. It was C.J. Mahaney. And I heard a tape called A House for God. And he was speaking from Haggai and Zechariah, and he was saying how God's desire has always been to have a dwelling place with his people. From the Garden of Eden, which started all the way through the tabernacles and into the temple, and then the restoration of the temple and fulfilling that in Christ himself, just standard biblical theology. And yet now in the church, God has a dwelling place. And how the local church becomes that expression of the dwelling place of God. And I remember him quoting from Psalm 132, Remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, in all of his affliction, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the God of Jacob, Surely I will not enter my bed, nor give sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And I remember CJ saying, That's what I want to give my life to. I want to give my life away to see something built where God can dwell, where people can look on and say, That is an expression of heaven on earth. Only, it may not, it's not perfect, but that is, that's what the tabernacle was. It was a picture of heaven on earth. That's what they're talking about in Psalm 84. The tabernacle reflected heaven. It was built like heaven. That's why even when you had the curtain, the curtain in the temple, it was blue. It was the into the heavenlies. 
And CJ was saying, that's what God calls the church to be. And as we look in the New Testament, we see that. And I listened to this message and thought, that's what I want to give my life to. That's what I want. And I got involved and I became pastoral ministry and were involved with a, a group of churches and different things. And, and after 12 years, started realizing the very... Was I living in some kind of utopian ideal, wanting to see something built where God could dwell, where this could be, in a local church, a true expression of the body of Christ, where, where tradition would not hinder us, where truth would motivate and steer us, where people were more caught up with what they're building than their position or role. And I remember thinking, what I'm in is not reflecting that. So 12 years back, I, I went back to C.J. Mahaney and said, what are you building what are you doing? So I went over to Washington, D.C., Gatlinburg, and I remember in 1995, went to the conference and then went to the church and just bawled my eyes out for a week because I was completely thrown by what had been built. It's not perfect, trust me, but it was, I thought, churches can be built that can reflect the glory of God as opposed to my experience. People can give themselves away for a local church and it means more to them than anything else. They are given to that. And I remember coming back, I was saying to my friend while I was there, I said, you know what? I'm stepping down from ministry. I'm going to go back and talk to Jen and I think I'm going to come and move out to the States and I'm going to be a toilet cleaner. And I, I would genuinely, honestly, prefer to be a toilet cleaner in this church than to be the pastor of what, which, what I've been involved in. And, and by the grace of God, somehow I didn't... The, the folks over there said, well, why don't you try to build something in a similar way? And so 16 years ago, we started Christchurch. And... They were very helpful, and through many dangers, toils, and snares, we now, again, in so many ways, we need to change. But I think we can honestly say there's a church there who people are given to seeing that church reflect what God is about. And for them, we have, I th we have 25 house group leaders any one of them, I think, could lead a church. But they're saying, but this is what I want to give my life to. And that's what's happened here. And this is why we're building a church here. A church where, Dave said it a hundred times, and we can hear it but not necessarily get it. What I'm a part of is just more important than the part I play. I am 51 years old. I don't know how much longer I'll continue as the senior pastor of Christchurch. I don't know. I mean, I'm getting old. And there's people who are young and smart and who are more gifted than I. And I'm, you know, I'm, ha I'm looking to becoming just a granddad in the church, you know, where I can sit on the side and say, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, and watch them 
succeed in some things and fail in others. I'm happy to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to do that. But I tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going somewhere else. I'm staying in the church that I love. In my heart of the highways to Zion. Our little taste of Zion. Our little building. And that's what Sovereign Grace try and build. We're not the best. We're not genuinely. There are so many people who do so many things so much better than us. I don't think we do anything particularly well. But there's a sense of, but I want to live my life. Live my life with these people. Burying myself in this church, whatever role, in order to see the church raised up. Therefore, something, something matters more than what did you do? What did you achieve? What did you accomplish? I gave myself away to this expression. Remember, O oh Lord, on Peter's behalf, in all his, of his affliction. This was what it was about, seeing the local church grow. Does that mean people can't leave? No, of course not. But it does mean that somewhere, at some point, we all need to find a place where we can say, this local expression of the bride of Christ is what I give myself to. Whatever is needed, however I can, not determined by me but by others, and I am happy, and they continue. We'll come to that in a minute. They continue, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Listen to this. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Do you know what that's about? They're praying for David. This, this is the sons of Korah. Moses, Moses, who do you think you are? And now, rather than standing against the person who was leading them, they're saying, Lord, behold him. Lord, we're praying for him. Lord, look on the face of your anointed. They're talking about, behold our shield, that's, that's what it means. They're talking about King David. What a difference. And I would take this opportunity to say to you as well, particularly for this man whom I, I love, whom I respect, whom I have watched for 16 years give himself to a local church, 10 years in that as, the past, as a pastor working alongside me. Um, there's no way Dave would be here if we hadn't for years and years and years seen evident grace. I plead with you as a church, pray for him. Pray for him and pray for Emma. And these sons of Korah, they're not trying to say, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. I think we should be doing it this way. I think we should be doing it that way. They're saying, Lord, the guy you've put to lead us, Lord, we bring him before you. Spurgeon said that, he said, there's one thing I value more than anything else from the folk of my church, and that's their prayer. There were times, in fact, when he got up and he preached such a duffer, he felt, in his message. Rather than saying, I'm so sorry I preached a duffer, he said, you know, this is your fault. You didn't pray enough for me, which is, I like that. You know, so if the message stinks, it's your fault. It's not mine. Um, pray for him, because as you pray for him and give yourself in that and say, Lord, 
give him wisdom and the other guys working with them, give them wisdom to be able to lead us forward. That brings pleasure to God. It's effective. We're so quick. I've done it. We're so quick to be able to chip in and say, this is the way I think it should go. I think we should do this. I think we should do the other. I think we should be doing this. We're going to have questions tonight, and I think that's brilliant and wonderful. And we Always ask questions, but at the same time, please pray. Please pray. We as leaders covet people's prayer because we know how weak we are and how needy we are, and we covet it. And then he goes on for a day in your courts. Oh, look at this. Is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than, and he's going back to number 16 now, dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. He doesn't withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. Oh, Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Oh, oh. This psalm cuts to the heart of what am I living for. That's what it does. It gets to the heart of what is my life about. And for these people, and, and this is the way it's going to go. We're gonna, you're going to have fun here, I think. Um, because as some people may come good-hearted saying, you know, Oh, I, I, I'm so looking forward to being part of Sovereign Grace Church and bringing my retinue with me of what I have to offer. And it may be useful at different times or whatever. And it's not that, you know, you don't have anything to bring. Oh, you do. But you may have way more than you can even imagine. There may be more gifts that you can even imagine. But the thing is, this is not a means to an end for the fulfillment of your ministry. You come and you say, how can I serve? You say, could you do the car park? Well, I could, but I, I think I'm, I'm probably better to preach. Um, thank you. Do you know what? You may be. But could you do the car park? Well, for a week or two. And so you're out in the car park. You're going, I'd rather be a preacher in the house of my Lord than to be in the car park. And the sons of Korah are going, do you know what? I don't even get into the center. I don't even get into the priesthood place. I'm never going to be there. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in this body, in this place, than to do my thing, than to be about me. There's been a fundamental change of heart that I think is all the way through the Scripture. It's in this that the Lord bestows favor and honor. It's in giving ourselves away to this, that no good thing will he withhold from those whose hearts in this way walk uprightly. This psalm is not just a, oh, nice psalm. And we sing it. We sing these words. I mean, we've, there's a whole bunch of songs with these words in them. You know, and I would rather be, uh, you know, do you, I'll remember the old one. I can't remember it, but we used to sing that. Now there's a new one. How lovely is thy dwelling place. Oh, Lord Almighty. And we all sing it and we sway or whatever we do. And, you know. But then in our hearts it's like, yeah, but I'm glad I'm not. Um, how sweet it is. Well, the Scripture says it this way. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. There the Lord commands a blessing. 
life forevermore. How wonderful it is. And by the grace of God, I think what we've, Dave has come from and what God has enabled us to have is a church where people are saying, happy to serve in whatever way, happy not to serve. Put me in, take me out. All I care about is seeing this little expression of the body of Christ reflect, reflect who God is through Christ. There's something of the cross in that. There's something of the Savior <clears throat> who, knowing where he had come from and knowing where he was going, took a towel, knelt down and washed the disciples' feet and said, do you see what I am doing? If I, your master, can do this, how much more? And then the next day is hanging on a cross, bleeding to death, dying for the sins of his church, but the day before giving an example of what it means to live in that church, which is he who would be first will be last, but he who would be last and the servant of all will be first. This is what's happened to the sons of Korah. They become the servant of all. This is what we want to build in a local church. <clears throat> a local church that, that loves this church and loves the reflection of Christ in the church. And it takes preeminence over everything. And if it's me as opposed to us, Something needs to change in our heart. We're always fighting those things. But something has changed wonderfully here. Absolutely wonderfully. Does it mean, therefore, we don't say, do you know what, I think I could have a gift in this, or I may be useful in this? No, of course not. Part of the role is to find and deploy different gifts and different what God has called us to and, and help work that through. But it's not the thing that I must have and drives me. And so... As we've talked it through and looked at this and our passion and desire for here, and I thank you, so many of you, who are just saying, and I, I honor particularly, you know, the guys on the core team who have laid aside, they've laid aside a ministry. Any one of them could be leading. But they've said, you know what? We prefer to see this church raised up than to find a role and a position somewhere that's different. Guys, thank you. God will honor that in you. God will honor that. And as we look back in the years to come, and we'll say, what was the thing that enabled this church to be established in the way it is and built in this way? You laying down your own ministry for me in order to find genuine ministry within the body in order to see the body raised up. And we've got at home a whole bunch of people who have enabled the church to be built because they've said, let me just serve in any way I can. And I know people are offering the ministries left, right, and center. They're saying, no, why not? Because I'm given to this local body. That's what this psalm is all about. We are being built into a temple. Peter says it in 1 Peter. You can go there if you want. Uh, <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's conclusion is the same. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy 
and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's the gospel. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on. The the joy of giving yourself to something that means more than you do. Of saying, you know what? And that's for me. What has my life been? My life has not been my ministry. I, honestly, I don't care about it. And I'm frequently trying to find a way out of it. Um, it it's just not important. What's important is, you know, what's my life been about? Genuinely, Christchurch. Trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good dad. And this church has been my life. Not because I'm the pastor, because I can point you to hundreds of others who say, what has your life been about? This local body. It affects what I do with my time. It affects what I do with my money. I want to build something that has eternal consequences, that displays the glory of God. The highways to Zion are in my heart. And because of that, this is what my life's about. You say, that's a bit heavy. You know, I was just wanted to come to church. You know, can't I just attend? Sure you can. Somewhere else. Bye. You know, that seems a bit much. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's the Bible. It's, it's, you know, can't we have it, you know, like I can pop along when I can, but go to other places as well. Can't I have it that I can give to a lot of other things, but not really have to give too much into the church? Can I have it that, you know, I can, what if I got a ministry here or a ministry here? Can the church just be a part of it? Not according to this. According to this, the local church, the mystery you've been in Ephesians, that God uses to reveal his purpose and his glory. The local church is the most important thing. Is there a place for parachurch organizations? Absolutely, yes, there is. And we love them and support them. But not anything that displaces the church. You say, this just seems a bit kind of, I don't know, couldn't you? I, I want church light, you know, diet church. Can we have that? No, this is full fat, full on, fully committed given away to the local church to see it grow. That's why we're in Australia. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why Dave and Emma came. That's what we're giving ourselves away to build. Maybe you didn't know that, um, but I promise you it is worth it. It is worth it. It's worth saying this is where I throw myself into and this is what I want to see. And if you do that, my friends... Blessed will you be, because there is nothing more wonderful than being able to look back in the years ahead and say, by the grace of God, we have been able to see a church truly reflect all that God wants, a community of people fitted together, committed to one another, reflecting all that God is and Christ is to this city and beyond, and that changes us 
And you know what? Well, what has your job been? I've been a doorkeeper in Sovereign Grace Church, Sydney, for the last 35 years. Is that all? Oh, yeah. That's wonderful. How glorious. And so, this is what we're trying to build. And I'm so grateful to have been here these last few weeks. Um, to be able to just say again, this is what we're about. Dave and I, I know what Dave's looking to try and serve you guys and build here. This is what we're about. We are, we are not thinking that we're better than anybody else. We're not. There are wonderful churches all around this city. But in our little way, in our corner, to build something where people say, this takes precedence over everything. This local church. So we're not just attending. We're giving ourselves because this is the bride that Christ died for in our little, little locality. So it's serious stuff. It's a big deal. So Paul said to the Corinthians, who got all this wrong, and he was trying to help them, but he would say to the Corinthians, you know, uh, you are the temple of God, not individually, but corporately. You are the temple of God. Don't destroy this temple. This is so important. In fact, this is so important that if anybody destroys it, God will destroy them. This little local expression is so important wherever you are. And the Corinthians, they were probably only 50 to 100 people. He's saying, you are the temple, though. Do you see how important this is and how God loves it? And when we see that, then we go, okay, it's through the church that God changes and affects the world. We're giving ourselves to it. So I pray you do. I pray you find something outside of you that is bigger than you and worth throwing your life into to see raised up. And I do believe as that happens in this church, this church will grow, and not just numerically, but grow in the knowledge and glory and love of Christ. And people will come to know the Lord through it, and they will find a home where they can save themselves. In my heart, at a highways to Zion, and I would just rather be here than anywhere else, than a thousand days anywhere else. How good God has been. That's why we're here, that's what we're about, and that's what we're building. And Lord, I pray for this church. Lord, I pray that, and I know, Lord, that what you have started, you will complete. That that you are the initiator, therefore, you are the one that continues to bring grace. Lord, Lord, may this church and the individuals here throw themselves in and love this little expression of your bride. And Lord, we do pray that as others come and they are, they see this functioning that as they see it functioning, their hearts are caught up as well, not only with love for you, but love for the bride for which you died. Lord, you bled for your church. You died for your church on the cross. And therefore, may we give our lives away for the expression of that where we are. So Lord, may grace abound to this church. And may it grow from strength to strength to strength and bring you pleasure 
and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.